Welcome back to episode number 232 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we have on very special guest, Joe Finn. We're talking about how to develop a dust control project and coal handling processes. Joe is a process ventilation engineer at Finn Equipment Sales, and he's based out of Greenville, South Carolina. Joe, welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Welcome and thank you. I'm really excited to have Joe on. He's had an extensive career in process ventilation, dust collection, and dust and odor control projects. I mean, he's a longtime, I'll, I'll say, member of the combustible dust safety community in that we've interacted many times over the years since we started the incident database, since we started the help desk, since we started dust safety professionals. And he's always one to offer his opinion and also one to reach out to when we have questions in this area. So he is an expert in coal dust handling systems. We recently had an incident at a cement plant that came in through dust safety professionals that was burning coal dust. And the incident was involved in their, their coal dust processing or handling uh, side of the facility. We had connected with Joe to discuss some of his thoughts on this topic and realized that was probably a more thorough conversation that we should have as part of an interview to educate the podcast audience. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about what are the different types of unit operations in coal handling processes. We're going to go through the process for evaluating dust control on these type of sites. In particular, Joe has, a, I think, a nine-step process they're going to walk through. Um, we're going to talk about common mistakes and how to address them. And I should have asked Joe or Joseph this before we got going, but I've already said both names. Do you prefer Joe or Joseph, Joe? I go by Joe. There you go. Well, I've, I've used both names now, so we're going to go ahead with Joe Finn then. Jumping in, what is your role in industry today, Joe, and, and what kind of industries do you typically work with? Well, my history in the industry goes back well over 50 years now. So currently, I've been developing wet dust control projects for the last 20 years for Anglo Incorporated out of West Virginia, and I'm a contract engineer and sales agent for that company. Historically, I've worked with dust collector manufacturing companies. I've worked with distributors and manufacturing companies. I've actually been a district sales manager in selling underground mining machinery for coal industry primarily. So a lot of uh, history there, been in many types of industries and work with anything. Coal is the premier one for me for many years, but I've also been involved in uh, non-coal mining, potash, gypsum, fly ash, a uh, number of things, and and additional general industrial operations. I mean, it's always interesting with coal because it's it's really a, a material, a process that transcends into many different industries, right? If they're, they're using it. Are, is there a typical kind of industry? I mean, are we usually talking mining or power generation? Or are you actually on site at, at all kinds of different industries that are burning or processing or using coal in different ways? Well, as far as coal handling, the, the use of coal ranges from, uh, of course, it comes from mining operations, surface and underground, and then coal is transported through various means, uh, rail and, and uh, river barging, truck uh, handling and all that, and it goes to the operation points. And those can be one area of coal It's not well-known, maybe, is that coal is used for making chemistry and chemicals and uh, plastics and things. But the main use, primary use of coal is for power and for making steel in the use of uh, coal made into coke. So coke is used in the blast furnaces 
the uh, major interests that I've had are for many years. Uh, of course, at mining operations, you have handling of coal, you have screening and crushing and operations like that. At their uh, surface operations, usually sometimes underground crushing. And then at the coal power plants, you receive the coal. Let's say you come in by rail, it might be dumped in a uh, rotary dumper or a bottom dumping rail system. It goes through, usually into a stockpile by conveyor underneath to what they call a uh, reclaimed tunnel. And then that will go transport from there into, as needed on demand, they will convey that stockpile coal through feeders below the pile and transport it into typically a crusher building or crushing operation at power plant. And then going from there, the uh, crushed coal will feed into bunkers or silos in the power plant itself above where the boilers are. And then that feeds into, out of those bunkers, into sometimes into a pulverizer crusher and it then is blown into the uh, boilers. The pulverized coal is extremely fine and it burns just like a gas in the boiler to create high efficiency energy transfer for producing steam. So that's kind of a quick overview of the handling operations in coal. I appreciate it because I've I've actually given presentations at at dust collection conferences that are for cement manufacturers and, and had discussions even after I given the presentation and demonstrated the hazards, you know, at the the lunches and that's like, oh well we we handle cement so there's no combustible dust problems on site. And then you ask, well, you know, what are you burning? Oh, we're, we're burning coal. It's like, well, okay, there's your, you know, and, and as I mentioned a few weeks ago, we had an incident at one of these types of cement plants. So they knew the hazards and they were trying to prevent them in that, but there still is this lack of awareness on site that it's not just your base material you're creating or base process, but all the, we'll call them support processes going on. So in this case, burning coal for power generation, you mentioned chemistry, you mentioned steel, making and, and coke as all kinds of different activities that would require coal. Um, I really like the breakdown of the different operations. So we have everything from mining to transport. So this could be rail, boat as sort of the main transport options, getting to the site on operation. Then the site, they're typically going to do some type of, of dump operation to get into a conveyor system. That's going to go to a stockpile. Then when they need that material for whatever they're using it for, say burning, then that goes through traditionally a, a reclaim tunnel, conveyed up to a crusher, and then go into silo for storage so that it's ready and they have a stock, well, stockpile is probably not the right word, but they have a, an excess amount of fuel for the, the burners as they need them, might be crushed again, and then you're going to the, the boilers. And I, I guess connected to all that, and this is what we're going to talk about a bit today, is the dust control side. So you have all those different operations. I assume that there's some dusty locations that can happen in, in crushing and milling and, and this sort of thing. Um, so then we have this whole other system. How do you actually control the dust that's going on there? Does that all sound like a good summary of the unit operations? I mean, I just summarized what you gave me, but anything that I, I missed in there? Well, it does. It certainly does. Most of it might mention that there's various types of coal from uh, very high BTU coal down to very low lignite and anthracite coal is very high and bituminous coal and Powder River Basin coal from out in uh, Wyoming is uh, a subbituminous 
and it typed cold and it's it's very friable and, and really combustible, but it's very low sulfur. So in years, several years ago, a lot of the coal power plants, when as you got into regulations for the power plant emissions, they started using a lot of the coal from the Wyoming Basin PRB coal, Powder River Basin coal. And that has very unique and special requirements because of its combustibility and friability and self-combust. So the dust control in those situations is even more critical and has led to a lot of work that I've done, but also in just general coal handling. You have exhaust ventilation control. You have suppression, misting systems and chemistries like that. Uh, You can also use other types of control in the plants on the roadway dust controls, a type of issue. But the primary area of involvement that I've had with the wet dust extraction the last 20 years has been in the design and supply of control solutions for the dust handling and transfer of coal and the crushing, the screening, loading by conveyor down towers onto conveyor belts and so on. And that's probably where we're headed next and in this discussion. Yeah. And I'll give a couple of resources if somebody's listening in the audience to the podcast. This show notes for this episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 232. Those are just the numbers, 232. I'll take the show notes and I'll also mention a couple of resources. So we'll link to a few of these. You mentioned that there's different types of coal, which is a really important point because some is more friable. And, and what that's going to mean is that's generally more dusty. And, and some is also might run to some challenges with self-combustion. And so we had Blake Nelson on the podcast way back in episode number 79, talking about the move in power generation to PRB coal, which uh, I think you mentioned is out of Wisconsin River Basin. Gillette, Wyoming is the uh, called the Powder River Basin. And so they call that PRB coal. And so what Blake had talked to on that podcast episode was that that coal was found after the fact, once they started burning it as a new product, found to be much more dusty. And that caused a lot of combustibility issues. You mentioned that it may also have some self-combustion problems as well. And in that podcast episode, which is three years ago in a little bit, Blake talked about his experience over his career making that transition. We also had Vincent Grotzkoff up on episode 55 of the podcast. So that was four years ago talk about coal mill safety and cement production. So those are some good resources here. On the other side, if you're interested in what this looks like, we've done recently actually a case study of an explosion in Maryland. That was episode 210. We've done a couple on that, but if you go to episode 210, you can get, I think, the most recent update. There's actually more. Actually, 215 is the most recent we have. And then there's there's even another update coming out soon because there's some legal things going on that, that incident. The reason I'm bringing it up is it has a video of, I think the explosion began in the reclaim tunnel and propagate throughout the conveyor system and into a bunch of conveyor towers. But there's a video of the explosion shown there. So that would be a good resource. And the last one I have is explosion that I have in Pakistan, I think two years ago in the crushing building at a power generation plant. That's a multi-story building. It just shows the, the type of deflagration event, type of explosion event that can happen in these sort of cases. So we'll put some of those resources together, include them in the show notes, just to give the listener an idea of, so these are the type of things we're trying to prevent against, and, and hopefully that's useful for you. Anything before we get into talking about, okay, how do we actually develop a coal processing dust control project or any even comments from the stuff that I just put out there, Joe? 
Well, actually, I've been in that reclaimed tunnel that you mentioned. In Baltimore, yes. In Baltimore uh, before the event. You know, the process that we're going to get into, one of the important things to understand is, well, one, there's another resource is the Industrial Ventilation uh, Handbook Manual for Dust Control by the uh, ACGI. H is at the American Council of Governmental Industrial Hygiene, big words, and that's hundreds of pages of information that I'm going to describe in about 10 minutes. So for people that are like myself, they're very familiar with that manual. But what I'm indicating here is for the general operations people on site that have these issues, of course, there's also the government regulations, the AMSHA and OSHA type of regulations to be aware of. So all of those are important in the design practice and areas, Chris, that, that your organization is so important in bringing that to the attention of general industry. So, you know, I'm so really pleased to be a part of what you're doing. In starting into it, I'll kind of launch into this, uh, stop whenever you have questions. Well, just before you do it, I will say, I forgot uh, probably a good resource too. Formerly the PRB Coal Users Group and now just the Coal Users Group, which, uh, you know, has done a lot of great work in this area, supporting that whole community, the whole industry. We'll put a link to their, to the Coal Users Group in the show notes as well so that uh, the, the audience has it. So, I mean, let's start at the start. We have this, you know, pretty broad use of coal from transport to storage to crushing to stockpiling to burning. Just how do we go about actually developing a, a dust control strategy for this? I think we're going to get into your, your nine-point strategy from here. So what's that process look like? Well, the process starts with understanding the overall situation. And I'm going to take it from this vantage point of looking at an existing operation rather than a, a, a new development, new plant being designed. But the process is the same mentally. But I've walked down hundreds of sites and plants and things over the years. So typically, it, and a lot of times there's an existing system that I'm looking at and you're making adjustments and corrections. But essentially, and the kind of the message I was going to lead into is, I think it's important. There, this isn't intended to teach someone how to be a process ventilation engineer, but really to understand what the engineer needs in terms of information and to be involved in what is the design practice. And really the first step is to kind of an overall evaluation of the process. Process change is the first step in dust control is can you make process changes that will eliminate or mitigate the process or the dust generation itself before you have to do something to control it. So that's general, that's a first step. And then to really kind of get an understanding of what's going on in the plant and then is a DHA, a dust hazard analysis needed and of course with coal dust it is because it is a combustible dust so then typically you, you start looking at the process itself and and i'll just say that the first thing we want to do let's go right into the nine steps is figuring out where the dust is being generated is really the first step that when you start getting into the details of the design so you want to identify each dust emission source 
and then consider, well, what control approach will work for that source? And then, and that could be evacuating a conveyor using a hood. It could be ventilating a silo. It could be a, a canopy hood sometimes, not so much in the coal handling, but more into process things where you have vapors and fumes and or smoke and things. In every case, uh, looking at the various source points, how's the dust generated? What kind of capture hood design is needed? Are there service access requirements? What is the dust? Of course, this is coal dust. And then can a dry system be used or would a wet dust collector work better? I ask questions uh, what we need to look at is the health issues. Why are we, why do we need the handle to control the dust? Certainly combustible dust, we know that, but there's also health issues. There's uh, coal pneumoconiosis, silica dust, silicosis. So health issues are important reasons to be considered as you look in and get started in looking at it. And housekeeping is important because I've walked to coal plants where dust was up to my ankles. That's really one of the no-nos, I guess you might say. And, and so housekeeping is critically important to minimize dust accumulation overhead on beams. You can use blowing fans and long-reach vacuum tools. But anyway, so that first step is just kind of evaluating the overall situation and moving in then to step two is what's the control volume that you need to capture. Let's say you're going to use exhaust ventilation. So uh, imagine we have dust coming up a conveyor and dropping into a load chute, falling down through a tower and loading onto a, a conveyor belt into, let's say, a, a coal silo room or bunker. So what volume of air do you need at each of those dust sources? And the, the three considerations are displaced air, induced air, and indraft air, and of course, temperature, wind, all kinds of things. But I start thinking in terms of to determine that volume is the displaced air because that's put air air from ore moving in displaces air pushes it out and so that volume of of uh, the bulk material can be factored into your first issue is displaced air and then the induced air that's air being pulled along on a conveyor is a small minor part of this but. Uh, air in a long drop chute is quite a bit more induced air might be factored in. And then third, in-draft air. Okay, now we've got, let's say we've got an enclosure, a head box at a conveyor or a skirt box on the bottom discharge. We overcome the displaced air and induced air, but then we've got to add additional air volume to overcome the, uh, to create an in-draft. And that's really your your containment air velocities so that air is not moving out of that control enclosure, it's moving in, it's pulling in and being contained and controlled. And then you take those source points and you move to uh, the next step is uh, go on here a little bit to step three. Well, I'll, I'll jump in there with a quick point, Joe, if that's okay. So we, we've got first two steps and then we have a pre-step. And so I'll mention the pre-step, elimination, you know, inherently safer design. Do we need to have the the dust there in the first place? And it's it's a really important conversation to have. I mean, the PRB coal, uh, the the dustier coal alternatives. There's a good. I mean, generally they're going to be cheaper than than other coals, so that's why they be put in place. But then, if you look at the cost of more cleaning, the cost of 
you know, th- there may actually be an economic incentive to say, oh, can we just use a, a less dusty coal? That'd be one example of elimination. There's quite a few others that we talked about with Blake Nelson, that, that episode of the podcast that were quite interesting, using better conveyor designs with hoods and spoons and stuff to have more laminar flow and stop the dust from kicking up. There are ways to eliminate the dust that's generated before we even get into what you're kind of going into, which is this nine-step framework. Okay, we know dust being generated. What do we do there? Um, I would mention that that incident that I mentioned in, in Karachi in Pakistan, which will include the, the incident linked to and the video. My understanding is that is maybe, I want to say brown coal, but I might be incorrect on that. But my my point there is that my understanding is very similar to what happened in North America with the move to PRB coal, where they moved to a new fuel source. It was much more dusty, and now they're having a lot more issues with fires and, and explosions on site in in those type of plants. Um, so as an example there. So we have you know elimination is the first control. Then moving to the two steps of your framework, identify the source admissions, like where is dust generated. So this could be outlets onto conveyors. It could be basically you're taking a look at the whole system, that, that unit operation. I drew a nice picture on my, my page, but the audience can't see that. But it's like every point in that system, where can the sources happen? And then define the control volume at each source. I mean, you went through probably what is covered, I'm sure, in pages and pages and pages in that industrial ventilation guide. But displaced air, induced air, indraft air, <laughs> the reason they're important is you don't know that, and, and I don't. That's the realm of where your expertise comes into place. But if you just stick a, a pipe with some suction on it, and then you don't pick up, you don't get the dust that you want, or you get too much, you're taking out the material. I mean, those all become, those all happen because you're not doing an engineered assessment of, of, of those type of things. So how much air do you need to move? What's the induced air by the equipment? What's the indraft air from air coming in? The factors such as temperature, wind, all that comes into play to get a good pickup design. And if you just stick a, I think Diane Cave from Element 6 calls it like an elephant trunk. So a flexi hose is sticking out over top of where the dust is coming. You're probably not going to get a very well-engineered design solution there. Uh, so I just want to put that in as a point that that's where the technique and the technical understanding from you know a very experienced person like yourself comes in to to control the the dust at these emission points. So we have the emission points. We have some definition of the control volume and the air requirements. And what's are the next steps? I'm on to step three here. I think in in your process. Well, and as you you start to understand that need, and you know you've kind of developed the concept hood, let's say, at location or containment approach, uh, control approach, the next step then is to develop drawings of the area, the facility, layout, equipment as needed, the uh, locating the hoods, uh, plan view, elevation view, section views, and of course photos and and so on are helpful. Uh, We've started doing some laser scanning for 3D modeling, which is interesting. I've been aware of it for several years, but it was fairly expensive, but now it's quite reasonable and that can be converted in. But still, you have to go through the design process, but it's just a tool for measuring instead of old school like me. I got the measuring tape in the in the ruler set. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And climb up on wherever. So then the next thing, once you've got drawings and layouts is... Uh, or at least as, see, starting from this point, there's several steps and you're kind of doing them all simultaneously because you can't lay the thing out if you don't know, or at least a factor, you need to know what the dust collector, what you're thinking of, you kind of know where it's going to set. And so 
all right, we're going to draw do drawings of the hood location and the plan views, but we're going to run figure out the ductwork. But we got to figure we got to know where the ductwork's going to go. So we're looking at the whole overview at the same time as we're doing these individual steps. And a lot of times, this drawing is for me is field sketches. I'm essentially designing the system on site on a rough basis using field sketches that are detailed enough to do engineering drawings, and then we will go into taking that information and determine ductwork diameters at each location, each source point. Then we let's say we have 3,000 CFM of air. We have to figure out then what kind of, at the exhaust hood, we want the, the velocity going into the hood, let's say on a conveyor skirt box, we don't want to pull product. So there's a guideline of keep the velocity at the hood inlet below 500 foot a minute on that type of situation. On other hoods where you have a nozzle hood, maybe you want 2,500 foot a minute. So all of these factors go into how you go through this step by step by step. So correct velocity to maintain transport. Once you've captured and the uh, dust is moving into the ductwork, the ductwork is sized based on the volume, but also what is the velocity needed. And, of course, abrasion, corrosion are factors. So I'm kind of going through. That's step four. Step five, then, is the line sketches, the duct routing, hood locations, hood design concepts. I'm kind of reading from uh, notes that I've made to prepare for this. And then step six, going into taking that duct sizing, duct lengths, and velocities and everything, and start determining ductwork's static pressure, duct losses system, total uh, static loss so that you can size the uh, dust collector and size the exhaust fan. The equipment differential pressure, uh, say a bag house if you're operating or a cartridge collector. One thing I'll say with the uh, wet dust extractors that I've been working with has an integral fan, so we rate it based on the inlet losses at the ductwork and any exhaust losses and don't have to factor a loss factor for the uh, equipment. But if you're using a a dry collector or a venturi scrubber, you factor all those things in. Then step seven, again, is something you've probably already done, but is determine the dust control equipment. And that's critical because you need to get the purpose of the dust control is not only to contain the dust in the plant, but to remove it through an air filtration device. And that device has to meet certain performance requirements and filtration efficiency maintaining volume consistently so you maintain transport velocity. And I've always said that maintain velocity in the ductwork is one of the most critical factors that needs to be considered in designing. And other factors outside stuff, service requirements, maintenance costs. So you're involved in the whole operational side of what's going on in the plant to the extent as needed. And then you look at what kind of equipment, is it a cartridge collector, a uh, bag house collector, and is it a wet system, as I mentioned? So, and, and then where does the dust go? Uh, do you drop it back on a, on a conveyor belt? And you asked about what are some of the drawbacks of some of those approaches. It's, many times you have multiple transfer stations going to a control by a bag house or a dust collector, dry dust collector. They drop the dust right back on the conveyor and it goes down to the next stage and is captured again. It kind of transports from one point to another to another rather than being controlled and removed at that point. Step eight, 
is, again, the equipment. Where are we going to put the equipment? How big is it going to be? If it's a bank house, it's quite large. If it's a wet dust collector like I've been working with, it can sit a lot of times right inside the plant. Can it sit inside the plant if it's handling combustible dust? A wet dust collector can, but dry equipment now pretty much has to go outside. It can, under very controlled conditions, uh, have explosion venting to outside. So is that possible uh, safety involved in explosion venting? Uh, of course, you know that, Chris. You've had programs on that. Is What do you do f- for dry systems for safe explosion and fire control? Black uh, draft are venting controls and the uh, explosion venting and inerting and all kinds of considerations there. So anyway, those are some of the things that uh, needed. And the final course step is is putting it all together in terms of system detailed drawings, 3D and 2D drawings, the fabrication installation. And also being aware uh, in that whole design process as you go through that, where are the interference points? Where's the you know, are the obstacles, electrical conduits, equipment. So you got to have compressed air, maybe on dry. If you're using wet, you got to supply water. Where does that water come from? Where does the dirty water effluent go to? So kind of a, you know, one key thing, maybe stop here for, let you go into kind of a summary from that point, Chris, and, and I'll wrap up when you're ready. Sure, yeah. I almost made a couple notes here. Yeah, so I, I, we have we have this nine-step process, and it's interesting. I think it can be broken probably into three pieces. So the first three steps are um, identify the sources, where where is dust being created, what are those points, find the control volume, and understand and start to develop what you know what your hood or your other type of control devices are, skirting or whatever the kind of solutions are, tying that into your plan and elevation views of those devices, those strategies. Those are the first three steps. And then we have sort of four steps that I think are, are let's say, iterative or done at the same time or, or kind of combine into each other. So that's actually determining where the equipment is located for controlling the, for the dust control, you know, collectors, fans, all that sort of stuff, developing the, the duct routing, sizing the duct work, and calculating the pressure losses. These all sort of tie together in order to evaluate the volume needed, also the minimum velocities, make sure they're kept up. Uh, both in the ducting themselves, but then also at the the pickup points. That's not too high. That's not too low, I guess, too, but not too high if you're sucking up product. And also then your pressure loss at the end of the day, which is going to determine what you need for your your equipment. Those all sort of need to be done at the same time or in a recursive manner. And then once you have a solution sort of figured out there, then we have the last two steps. So select your equipment, develop a, a detailed system design, which incorporates everything before it. Those are sort of the nine steps. And then we have other topics, right? So, okay, we have a design, you got to fabricate it, you got to install it. Um, you got to consider what the site layout is, if there's stuff in the way, if there's, um, you mentioned water lines, effluent air, compressed air lines. We've seen cases where uh, nitrogen is being fed into the system. So nitrogen lines, those all come into play, fire and explosion considerations. Where's the dust go once you collect it and get off of the, the dust collection filters? Those are all considerations that kind of come in after this nine-step process, after you have the plan figured out. I, w- I want to go into some common challenges, but even before then, I mean, you mentioned the wet dust collection side a few times. Um, let's let's dig into that a, a little bit. Like, what are the differences? Well, just like nuts and bolts-wise, okay, we, I, I think the audience has a good idea of dry dust collection and coal handling. What is wet dust collection and coal handling? What does that look like? And then maybe let's talk about 
some of the strengths and, and challenges there? Well, essentially, a wet dust collector is the same thing as it's an air filtration device. And there's there's several concepts ranging from kind of water bath type scrubbers and venturi scrubbers. Of course, there's uh, air scrubbers for odors, which use which are really not suitable for dust because they've got components that are used to capture fumes and there's oil mist collectors or sometimes a wet type of thing. But the uh, typical one that I've been working with is the uh, uses uh, the impeller of the fan as the initial capture. The air is wetted at the inlet to the fan, sometimes through a pre-separation stage, especially if we have fibrous dust, which is not coal. But we will use a an air separation, wet air separation device to remove a substantial amount of the particulate in a coal handling. And it depends it, it is how much loading is in there. Do we want to knock a lot of it out in advance of this impeller stage? Uh, in the uh, wet, dust, wet dust extractor that I've been working with, the energy of scrubbing around that impeller is, uh, and then through kind of a, a bifurcated venturi stage, it's a light venturi, and it, it's extremely efficient uh, in the high 99% range on uh, coal dust and relatively low, very, very small package that is suitable actually for bringing in underground. We've had them mounted on continuous miners in coal mines, so in underground process operations. So, And so those can be quite small then, those wet, like if it's going to be on the miner itself. Right, absolutely. And and of course, it depends on the volume uh, that you need for the location. But again, uh, a wet dust extractor like I've been working with, we've replaced many, many large uh, collection systems. And initially, they could have been put in. And, and if we've been doing where there's not equipment in place, can be put inside the plant operation many times near the process. So that's an advantage to uh, eliminate long ductwork runs, but that's all part of the total process of going through that, that we get involved in. So without going into extensive uh, discussion on that equipment, uh, but basically, you know, kind of my message is there's a whole process here that we go through and, and my goal is to, with this discussion and others that I've done is, is helping the people that I'm working with that are not initiated into this process just understand the basics of what we're doing and, and be able to help supply the information that's needed and to answer questions they might have or to be able to ask the right questions. So, Well, that's right. And we'll have, we'll have um, your contact information, Joe's contact information in the show notes for this episode at dustavyscience.com slash 232. I mean, we talked about some of the challenges and, and mistakes that you commonly see and, and how they should be addressed, but any other kind of challenges that come up that you just see time and time again? And I mean, if somebody's listening to this, this is your opportunity to, to, to tell them about this challenge. Um, anything else come up that you think is important to bring up? Well, of course, you mentioned the the type of dust, uh, the friable dust is a huge challenge. And that's really important that it's handled properly. But also any any combustible dust has got its control issues. The one I mentioned is maintain velocity in the ductwork is, I think, one of the most important steps in the process. And we've seen a lot of times the 
dry collection, baghouse collectors, and cartridge collectors. They go through an initial low differential pressure, but then as dust accumulates, they, of course, have uh, air blowback or either uh, compressed air blow or reverse air. But over time, the accumulated differential pressure increases. That has an effect on the system volume and the uh, velocity in the ductwork. And it's important to maintain that velocity in the ductwork. Proper hood design, proper ductwork design, you know, all the things that basically I've alluded to in this discussion. Uh, I've seen gigantic hoods and 16-inch hoods on a four-foot, you know, di- uh, diameter ductwork on a four-foot wide conveyor belt. Why? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't understand it. It's, so you can you can put a lot more, I mean, a volume on the situation that you need, or you can put a lot, you can put too, too little. You might put a four-inch line where you need a six-inch or maybe ought to have an eight-inch. Another thing I didn't mention is I like to use a bleed-in. A lot of times on our, our systems, we like to use a bleed-in branch so that we can. Uh, one thing you run into is in the operations, people out in the field, they start tweaking it on their own, and they'll close a blast gate or this and that. That's an issue to be concerned about. What we try to do in the design is provide, and, and one reason for doing that, maybe they'll cut off a, a location because they're not using it anymore. Had that happened in a system, not in a coal plant, but was an oil mist system, but they started closing gates because they took some equipment out of the process and the building started shaking. <laughs> yeah. And the, the reason when I got in there is they had closed all these gates and they put the fan in to stall. So it's, sometimes you run into some crazy things. So I went in there and started regulating gates, and it was just amazing. It just went from shaking the whole building to just just kind of closed. Well, it was fun. Easy, easy day's work, it sounds like. It was cool. <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, and it's I, I got a, a couple of these, you know, the friable dust, combustible dust, maintaining velocity in the duct work. We showed some videos at our conference this year about that. It, it looked like coal dust, but I don't know what material it was. We had a video of actually they were decommissioning a building and, and tearing it down, and they were cutting the ductwork down, and it was full of dust. But they didn't, well, they didn't know or didn't appreciate, you know, what what could happen. But anyway, the the cutting ignited uh, deflagration at one end of the ducting and propagated all the way through to the other end of the ducting through the material. It's quite a quite a large fire i mean the ducting is not real strong so it just basically peels out open but it was in a large room so it created a, a very large fireball that started from one end and moved to the other on on quite a video so i like to use that one as a, a demonstration of you know, that could happen while you're processing the dust too you just need that dust in in the in the duct work big challenge there you talked about proper hood design not too big not too small unengineered modifications and we've had i think i mentioned already diane cave in this podcast episode we've had her on the podcast before talking about the challenges with unengineered modifications, just dead ending ductwork and, and adding in stuff and, and not thinking about the requirements. And who knows, your your building might start shaking like Joe <laughs> if you don't if you don't do those those modifications correctly. Um, or you end up with dust accumulated in your ductwork and someone exactly. cuts into it and has an explosion. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, I mean, really good coverage. I think there's a lot of interesting material. We mentioned good resources for the audience. Any last words you want to leave people on before we cut off for today? Not really. I, you know, it's been fun. I thought it was uh, very interesting to do this with you, Chris, and I hope it's been helpful to your audience. And of course, uh, 
uh, I work with a team of people that are looking to be of service to the industry in multiple ways. Thanks so much. 100%. And we'll, we'll include your contact information in the show notes. I also have your process ventilation solutions document here. If we can find a way to share that link, uh, we might grab that and throw it in the show notes as well so people have it. That just covers the nine steps that we talked about today. Um, has some images and kind of talks about that process. Probably also include a link to Anglo's website on there as well. Yeah, if you have any questions, you can always contact me or you can reach out to Joe from the show notes. Again, we'll have his email. So I'll say thank you again for coming on, Joe. Thank you for your involvement with what we do, try and prevent fires and explosions, both, you know, pointing end of the stick the last 50 years, the, the immense amount of work you've done, but also just being a supporter of the concept. Uh, we've developed the communication pathways to the community in general. Um, we appreciate your involvement in everything that we do. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. And I'm sure we'll be talking soon. I think you might be making your way up to, to Ontario here in a little bit. So we may be able to grab a, a coffee or a bite to eat in the next few weeks. So hopefully that will happen. Maybe one final thing just for information. Uh, you know, I'm going uh, from north of Niagara Falls on a couple of projects, looking at one you uh, wanted me to look at on uh, coal handling operation. But then going over to South Dakota School of Mines, where they're doing a mine ventilation symposium, I've been asked to do a paper there. So that paper is really kind of a same thing we've been talking about, but a little more elaboration on the, the one page flyer that I think that you just mentioned. So as soon as that conference ends uh, later this month, why we'll, uh, it'll be available as well for you to uh, provide for your your uh, members. No, that sounds fantastic. And like I said, if you're listening to the podcast episode, you can probably email Joe and get that. This won't come out until when? Till July, first week in July. So I th- think that might be after the symposium, but regardless, we'll either include it in the show notes or if it's missing when you go to try to find it, then um, we'll have Joe's contact and get it there. Awesome. Thanks again, Joe. And I look forward to getting you back on the podcast in the future. Thanks, Joe. Bye. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Joe Finn from Finn Equipment Sales based out of Greenville, South Carolina. We're talking about how to develop a dust control project and a coal handling process. So we really went soup to nuts on um, why coal is used, how coal is used um, on the sites that would be using it. And this could include you know, power generation, burning the material, generating steel, generating other types of chemicals. On these sites, what are the different unit operations that would be present? And this is everything from the mining side, to transport, to storage, to stockpiling, to conveying, to crushing, um, to burning, and, and basically everything in between. And the question is, how do you run alongside that a dust control system that's capable of reducing the combustible dust emissions that you're seeing at your site? That was really the, the purpose of this nine-step process. So we had uh, nine steps that were involved with the pre-step, which was elimination, looking at inherently safer approaches. Um, maybe just not have the dust there in the first place. Always a really good consideration. Um, I always tre- I always credit that back to Dr. Uh, to Trevor Kletz um, and his work inherently safer design. So he would say, you know, you can put a you can put a stair rail, a handrail on a set of stairs. You could put an electronic device to pe- move people up and down. You could put an elevator in. You could carry them. There's all these different ways to get somebody safely up and down a set of stairs. Or you could just build a host that is only one level. <laughs> And host is one level is inherently safer from a stair fall consideration than um, all these other different mechanisms to fix the stairs at the end of the day. That's an example of inherent safety. Uh, We had a nine-step process after that, including identifying the sources and emissions, identifying your control volumes and the airflow through them, 
different considerations that would go into determining good pickup designs. Could be hoods, could be skirts, could be any other type of control um, systems that are going to actually pick that material up. Then you have a recursive process where you're looking at the equipment involved, um, its locations, the duct routing, diameter lengths, pressure losses, and taking all that into consideration to come up with a proper design, selecting your equipment, developing your detailed design, system design at the end of the day. Uh, we talked through a number of challenges, things, you know, traditionally talked about on the podcast, combustible dust, fire and explosion safety certainly come into play. But some other things that are interesting with coal, like there's such a variety of types of material out there. Some's more friable than others. I mean, this, this also has parallels in other industries, right? You can have um, wood dust that's much more dry. So um, think about beetle kill and stuff out in, in British Columbia, which caused more dry, more flammable, more easily dispersible dust. Um, these kind of considerations come into play with coal as well. And actually, if you look at the last history of the last 100 years, you can kind of see a correlation between the more dusty coals having larger loss incidents um, and, and actually causing quite, a, a, quite an effort to be put around understanding coal and leading things like the Coal Users Group and, and that. Um, and that was really it. Joe had mentioned a couple of resources throughout. I, we also mentioned a couple of resources, videos, incidents, past podcasts. All that will be available in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 232 for this episode. Um, we'll also have Joe's contact information there. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. And I appreciate everything you're doing. The industry's handling combustible dust. Being safer with the work you do out there every day. We appreciate it. 